This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmond.edu. John Raymond is a jazz trumpet player. He's worked with some of the jazz world's most respected names, including Billy Hart, Oren Evans, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Linda O, oh, and more. His albums have received glowing reviews in the New York Times and Downbeat magazine, and Downbeat also voted him as a rising star in their critics' poll. outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Grew up actually in a Lutheran church mm. and um, sort of... That like fits the cliche. Right. It's the Garrison Keillor story. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I ended up, you know, meeting a friend in Allstate Jazz Band who was a really strong believer. And she um, went to like a reformed church down just south of the Twin Cities. And so we started to hang out more and more. She invited me to... Uh, like a winter conference or something that they had for their mm. youth group. And I think that was kind of like the moment I was saved and mm. that God began something much more like clear in my life. up, uh, you know, ironically with very not that musical parents. Um, we sang in church a little bit. My mom sang in church a little bit uh, and started piano when I was, I guess, second grade, so maybe seven years old or something, mm. and started playing trumpet when I was in fifth grade, so when I was 10. Um, ended up going to um, UW Eau Claire in Wisconsin for my undergrad um, which was in trumpet performance. And, and uh, that was actually mainly like a classical trumpet degree. Oh, interesting. Um, but I really went there because the trumpet professor and the jazz studies person there, um, I, I saw him even before I went there as sort of like a mentor hmm. um, and as somebody that I could really get to know and, and that would really bring me up in the way that I needed to to go as a trumpet player. So you wanted to play jazz. You you knew that much. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And and they had a they have a great um particularly great big band program. Hmm. Um and just a 
they've always had a thriving jazz scene in this small college town in Wisconsin. Mm. And um, when can you remember first going hearing hearing jazz and saying, "Oh, I want I want to be part of this. I want to understand this." Mm. Gosh, I think I was going into my junior year of high school and I was um, hanging out with a friend of mine who was older, who actually was at the time going to UW-Eau Claire as a trumpet student. Mm. We were hanging out one day and practicing trumpet and all that. And he put on this bootleg recording for me of this trumpet player, Nicholas Payton. Mm. And uh, it was a show that he had recorded on his mini disc player. Um, Classic. Right. Uh, at the Dakota Jazz Club, which was then in St. Paul. And um, I just remember hearing like the first few bars that he played. I, the only thing I remember thinking in my head was like, I have to do that. Like, that's, mm. There's something about it that just like compelled me to do that. And even to this day, like I still look back at that and, and think like that was, I think that was the moment. Mm. I think I had always loved jazz for whatever reason. I couldn't really define it, but that was definitely the moment where I was like, okay, let's go for this. That's what it, it became a trajectory for you. Right, at that right. Point. Yeah. yeah. There's a pine warbler sitting on a hollow limb. He seems to have the whole morning out right in front of him. And everything he sings from the branch that he's sitting on, it seems to hush the leaves and the colors all around. Now first he sings and then he goes. And what it means, it's hard to know. From Harbor Media, you're listening to Cultivated, conversations about faith and work. On today's show, John Raymond and I talk about making music, about meeting your heroes and playing with them, trying to make it in New York's elite jazz scene, and keeping your faith in the midst of it all. It's a great conversation with a truly unique and gifted artist. So stay with us. can be an intimidating place for a lot of Christians. It can be pretty progressive and, in some spaces, pretty hostile to believers. But early on, John made a connection that helped give him a sense of plausibility about being a jazz musician and being a Christian. Probably my best friend to this date um, was actually a professor at the university. And uh, even my fresh, I think it was my freshman year, um, I went up to him at some point and being the naive freshman that I was, I said, um, hey, I hear you're a Christian. Mm. Can we get together? And we ended up meeting pretty much every week after that for the rest of my time there, which was, um, you know, probably like four and a half years oh. where we we got really close and I ended up, ended up getting really close to his family and he was a best man at my wedding. And mm. I, I didn't feel called away from my pursuits, you know, mm-hmm. and I felt like God was calling me to continue to go deeper into that. And that led to these other friendships that have been super rich for me. You know? Yeah. To have somebody who's there that's in the world vocationally, like it gives you plausibility as a person, you know, as a Christian to go, oh, you can be a Christian, you can do this. Totally. You know? Exactly. Um, yeah. Because in the art, sometimes that's a scary thing to go, I want to, I w- not only do I want to do this, I want to do this deeply. I want to do this, you know, you're not a, you're not a Christian trumpet player, right? right. Um, though there were those things. Uh, right. Phil Driscoll, does that name mean anything to you? 
It yeah. does. It rings a bell, but... He was like the Christian trumpet player guy. He oh, would go around. Yes. You and, know, and I think my trumpet teacher in college had told me about him. Yeah. Yeah. This is literally like flashbacks because my, my parents had these grand visions for me of getting college scholarships from playing wood, you know, playing trumpet. And so they would, would go around and he would like, yes. it was like a crusade, yes. you know, and he would play these like, you know. With like backing tracks and stuff. Oh, yeah, I heard, yeah, 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 I've heard yeah, yeah. all oh, about fantastic. this. Fantastic. I'm sure he's on YouTube. We'll have wow. to look him up at some point. All right, so un- enough of that. Um, so when did you move to New York? Uh, 2009. Okay. Um, right after I graduated from UW-Eau Claire. It was kind of like New York, center of the jazz world. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go take a swing at it. Largely, kinda, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, I actually checked out New York and some schools in New York uh, for my undergraduate degree. And I ended up kind of just not getting a good feeling about it. Or I, I actually remember visiting New York with my dad when I was a junior in high school or something and thinking like, I don't like this place. This is Mm. weird. And then uh, I think, yeah, I think the more I got into being a jazz musician and and what that was, I wanted to be immersed in it. So you moved here in 09. I wonder, first off, I imagine it's like a pretty intimidating thing to to show up and be like, I'm the new trumpet player here in town. And and looking at where you are now, the the records that you've made, the you know the the places you've been written up and that sort of thing, you're a part of the scene now. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you know you were part of the scene? Oh man, good question. And and I guess as long, what was the journey like getting to that? Yeah, to that point. I think like a lot of people do when they move to town, you know, you know, you have a a certain foundational understanding of jazz music or how to improvise or what you know, the, the canon of jazz songs that there, there are, but you don't really know what you're getting into (laughs) until you're here and you're in the thick of it and you're surrounded by not only like your peers, but also like your heroes Mm. that all live here and are playing with you or after you play or whatever. Um, Or you can just go see them any night of the week whenever you want you know, the bar is just raised immediately, as you can imagine, you know. Yeah. And um, so I, it took me a while to really get my feet under me. Maybe maybe longer than others, I'm not sure. Mm. Um, I've always kind of felt like I'm a, I'm a late bloomer in a certain way. Mm. Um, but to answer your question, I think it probably took me like at least four or five years to really feel like I was part of a community and a a scene and and I think I always knew that I belonged here but I think it took me a while to to eventually have that sort of confidence of like yeah this is who I am this is what I do mm-hmm. um, and I'm surrounded by other people who who think the same way
I was going over some of the lists of the, the collaborations that you've, you know, you've worked with a lot of people and obviously being in the scene here, you've, you've played with all kinds of folks. I'm curious, like, who has been, you know, were there moments where it was like, you know, getting to play with a hero or getting to play with somebody, you know, what, what have been some of your favorite collaborations over the years? Well, you know, I remember one of my first experiences coming to New York was like a, a lot of jazz musicians do is you'll move here and you'll immediately get into the jam session scene, mm. which all happen, you know, midnight and after till mm. who knows when. And, um, you know, I, I remember uh, for whatever reason, meeting this saxophonist named Tavon Pennicott, who had just moved to town. I think we figured it out later. We moved to town the same week or a few days mm. apart or something like that. And, um, we ended up just kind of like clicking and hitting it off and we would go to sessions together and um, Tavon, when he would play, would like bring down the house mm. every single time. And then I felt like I would get up and I would play and I just like couldn't do anything. And I, <laughs> I look back, I would, you know, I'd like get done taking a solo or something and, and just realize like, what am I doing? Like I didn't have any sort of reaction similar to what Tavon got. And I always kind of looked at him as a sort of this person that I um, was always trying to learn from as we were hanging out together. And, and while we haven't played a lot, maybe in the last few years, um, I still think of that friendship with him as somebody that will always be memorable to me. And he always kind of has a special place for me. Yeah. And then, you know, there've been times for me where I've gotten to like, like you said, like work with and play with heroes. Um, one guy I think of is uh, drummer Billy Hart. Mm. And, um, you know, Billy, I think is 75 at this point. And, um, you know, one of the last living legends of the music who, uh, I, I remember, I mean, the, the reason I, I got to know him and play with him was I did a record with him a couple years ago. Mm. And it was sort of set up and um, coordinated by, this teacher of mine, John McNeil, who goes way back with Billy. Um, John is also like a really veteran, sort of underrated legend in the scene, I think. And um, Trumpet player as well. Right? Trumpet player, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, when we were talking about who to have on the record, he was like, well, how about Billy? And I remember thinking initially, like, I don't know, you know. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, John, like, you would be an idiot to to not do this. <laughs> just just for the, the opportunity of, like, getting to have such close interaction with somebody who, you know, we always talk about as jazz musicians, like trying to understand the history of the music. Well, like he is the history of the music or like he made the history of jazz music. Right. And so, you know, I, I just remember that feeling I had when we first played together, which was in the studio. We didn't even really right. get a rehearsal. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I felt like I was, immediately connected to this lineage of jazz music that I, I, I didn't feel that before or something. Um, and it, that was such a special experience and getting to play with him after that was, it's been some of the most memorable mm. gigs I've ever had, you know? Yeah.
that John has collaborated with happen to be two of my favorite jazz musicians, John Abercrombie, a living legend, and Kurt Rosenwinkel, who's one of the most important younger jazz guitarists playing today. I asked John about working with him. Abercrombie was somebody who I got to study with at um, SUNY Purchase, which is where I got my master's, which is just outside of New York. Yeah. And um, and we ended up with the big band at school. We got to perform with him a couple times. Mm. And um, that, you know, he's just a real special musician. He's funny. I mean, I remember taking the class with him. It was a composition class. And uh, which he he has incredible compositions he's an incredible writer and player and uh we'd, we'd get to class and it's nothing nothing against him but he he wouldn't really have a good way of teaching it or or mm. or how to explain it he was just like well you know you just follow your ear like it could go here or the <laughs> chords could do this or the melody could do this right. and and it's so instinctual and yeah. and uh you know if we all had John Abercrombie's ears. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> that was like the, that was the whole lesson of the class. Really, is right. like just try to have bigger ears. Yeah, really. Oh yeah. Um, sure. And then Kurt, um, we've gotten to play a couple times with this pianist that I've worked a lot with, Oren Evans. Mm. And um, Oren and Kurt go way back because of their connections via Philly, because mm. um, they're both Philly born and raised, and um, or based, I guess. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just special. I mean, he's he's one of those guys again where it's like, I remember before I even moved to New York, just like digesting all of Kurt's music and yeah. just being like, this guy's insane. And yeah. then to be able to get to share the stage with him is yeah, know, it's a pretty sweet I'm, thing. I'm sure. Well, he's one of those guys, and and this is this is probably a good segue. He's he's one of those guys who you hear two notes, you know, mm-hmm. and you it's immediately recognizable that it's that it's him and. He could probably be playing any instrument and into any amp, but it, it's that thing with his hands. Yeah, totally. Um, and you know, one of the things I, I want to say from immersing myself in your music for the last couple of weeks, like you've got, you've got a real sense of your own voice. Like you can you can hear that across all of your records. I mean, listening to that stuff, watching the watching the YouTube videos, all of that. I was impressed with this sense that um, you're making these choices about. Tone, you know, warmth over over you know over brightness, um, melody over chops. Like you've clearly got chops, but you're you're working and you, it's like there's a there feels like there's a constraint to what you're doing, mm. so that the so that you're really bringing the songs out and it makes your music really approachable. I think mm. even while it's really modern, you know, even while it's in these like crazy time signatures and 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 gets really you know gets really mathy in places, you have this way of kind of casting out really far into those things and then bringing people back in mm. melodically. And so I just want to, first off, just say, dude, bravo. Like you've, mm. you've got a singular kind of voice and a sound. That's, um, man, I mean, you don't know. I mean, that, that kind of stuff means a lot for me mm. coming from people that I don't know very well. <laughs> uh, that, you know, I think as a jazz musician, that's one of the things all of us are striving for or I think we should strive for. Yeah. I mean, you know, to have a singular voice that's you, it takes so much soul searching and energy and, you know, there's so many layers to it. Uh, and then to hear, you know, to hear you say that, it, it means a lot because yeah. it's like, oh, it's, something's working. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> or all, the, all, all this energy that I'm putting forth towards that, it's communicating mm. that mm. in the way that I want it to, which sure. is, is cool. 
there's a certain courage required in that too, right? Like saying, I, I'm going to make my decisions. I'm going to, I'm going to press into that. And there's a necessary, I think there's a vulnerability that comes along with that. Because mm-hmm. to say, to say, I'm going to be an artist in the first place is, is frightening. Um, but to say, I'm going to be an artist and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to commit myself to this thing of having my, my voice and my sensibilities mm-hmm. out there rather than going, well, here's what's working in the scene. I'm going right. to do this. Right. You know, because you're playing with this, like the story you told earlier about you're playing with this guy and, and him lighting up the crowd. Like I, I have a friend that's a, a jazz guitarist that says like he, um, he actually hates p- playing those kinds of sessions where it's just kind of all, where it's chaos. Me too. <laughs> because he said, uh, he, said, he said, I could get up there and do the most interesting things I know how to do, you know, harmonically and all of this kind of stuff. And everybody's going to stare at me blankly. But if if I just play a blues solo, you know, the room will light up and people will buy me drinks all night long. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. At the end of the day, you know, it comes down to I have to be myself. Mm. And that gets hard to deal with because then you're forced to confront who you are. And uh, I think the thing that the Lord has really taught me over the years has been like, you know, I've felt him very... Um, frequently just sort of almost say to me like, John, I've made you who you are. And if you don't be yourself the way I've made you, um, like that's that's the voice that you have, right? I mean, you, you don't have a voice trying to be like somebody else. So just be who I've made you to be and be confident in that and rest in that. And that I feel like for me has, that like liberates me immediately because I I get to then express myself and not worry about what other people think or not try to worry about fitting into a certain mold or uh, trend or whatever. Um, but I just get to do what I'm, I feel called to do or like, let's, let's be faithful to God first and not, not think about anything else and then let the chips fall, so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really been something I feel like in the past few years in particular that God has really like drawn out in me, but also really affirmed me mm-hmm. in, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's a tricky idea because some people might hear that and go, Oh, like I can, I can take my foot off the gas. I can just be who I am, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah. But my guess is that what I know of what it takes to make it in the jazz world in, in New York city, knowing that resting in that probably actually meant more work. Right. And really, I think it's, it's been the constant asking of like, how do I hear this? Or like, how, what am I trying to say? What is me? Mm. Um, and sort of like I said earlier, it's like, that's a huge soul searching process. Mm. Uh, you, you have to weed out like your motives for trying to do whatever musically um, and, and really go with like, okay, well, what do I have to say here? Yeah. And I think that's probably true of any creative process, right? Like we, you, you fall in love with something and you want, and you want to do it um, and you want to do it well. And there's sort of this process of like, you have to reckon with the masters, the people who've gone before you, but then you have to go, you have to go deep into yourself in order to have, whether it's painting or writing or, mm-hmm. or music, something to say. Do you feel like there was sort of an, a moment where you, where you began to notice that, that yourself showing up in that way. Hmm. Cause I imagine when you first get here, you were, 
what, 22, 23 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and trying to press through like the whole, you know, people talk about false self, true self kind of thing. And I hear, I hear a little bit of that in what you're, what you're talking about, like the journey of an artist, um, doing their best work is the journey of a person getting to the core of like, what's my, who am I really? Mm-hmm. You know, and as a Christian, we go, who am I in Christ? Mm-hmm. And then how do I, you, you go inward and then how do I then live that out in the world in a mm-hmm. way that bears witness and, and all of this? Mm-hmm. I just wonder how, is there, and maybe there isn't, but is there a way to sort of measure that and to, to notice along the way certain temptations to, to impress, to conform, begin to pass away as you begin to kind of settle into Maybe not. I, I don't know. I'm just. I think it happens constantly, in in various different ways. You know, for me too. I've I've always been the kind of person where, if I'm real, if I'm really uh, concentrating when I practice, and and really applying myself, um, I often find that I just I learn a lot about who I am in that process. My tendencies, hmm. um, sinful or not, um, you know, I I learn as I think about the music and what it means to me and who I am and what where my place is in it and all that I start to see evidences of who God is in the midst of that and how he created all these things and how they work together and and so that personal alone time for me has been like the treasure that like I gotta keep that you know and I think it's through through having that time, that's that kind of has provided the foundation for a lot of those moments, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. dug into the music, the more I see these like crystal clear evidences of who God is as an improviser. Part of the core of improvisation being this idea of being in the moment, being spontaneous, just all the ways that that to me reflects like, and this is who God is and how he's made everything all the time for, you know, since the beginning of time, like he has created this in the similar way that I'm creating it now in this moment and I get to like experience that in that that very tiny moment. Very particular experience. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean I feel like there's there's so many analogies for me that have popped up over the years of just seeing like this is this is clearly a music that like God has ordained to be what it is through men, mm. um, believer or not. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, and it can like connect with you as an as a listener and as a musician on a really deep spiritual level, even which is mind boggling to think about. You know, like to think about like sound being able to resonate with us in a certain way that it gets us to think about certain things or it gets us to feel certain things, and to be able as an improviser to have the chance to like 
sort of take an audience on a journey, if you will, of um, we don't know what's going to happen next and you don't either. So let's go together. Let's see what happens. Oh. And just that kind of trust and that kind of um, that kind of moment that you get to share with with the musicians and with the audience, it's it's like really special. You yeah. know, that is uniquely what makes what makes jazz in particular special. Dan Seidel, uh, an art critic friend of mine, once said like, art is always a gesture of the artist that's, um, you know, and the goal of it is to make you feel something. I'm going to reach out, I'm going to make mm-hmm. you feel something. Um, I love what you just said about jazz, which is this sense of like, we're going to, we're going to do that, but we don't even necessarily know where it's going to go. Like, and it's, and it's this, it's this art form where, you know, in, in, in creation, these things are happening over and over again all the time, but they're never the same. You know, there's no, there's no two trees alike. There's no two people alike. There's no two things. And improvisation seems to kind of work that way. Like at its very best, it's these particular experiences that, yeah, you can put them on a record and you can play the record over and over again, but in a sense that moment's gone. And I don't know, it, it, it fascinates me as well. Yeah. I'm curious, has there been a time, you know, being a, uh, being a Christian living in the city, uh, doing what you do, has there has there been a time where your faith has uh, sort of directly caused conflict or trouble, or you know, have, have you experienced pressures? Obviously, culturally as a whole, we're we're in a very different place. Um, uh, as you know, believers are in a very different place than we were 20 years ago. I wonder if you've experienced anything there. Or- One thing that God has taught me with all of that over the years is one that people here. I mean, musicians respond to excellence. They re- they respond to you being serious about what you do, and if and if you are, you you at least gain a platform to have a conversation with somebody, mm-hmm. even if it's just saying hi. You know, I I, I have friends who have moved here who would go and get into the jam session scene, and um, I would I would ask them later on like, how did it go? Like, you know, how how you doing? Like. How's life? And they would say, like, man, it's really hard. Like, nobody will talk to me. (laughs) And it's because, again, for better or for worse, a lot of the musicians here, they base their friendships off of, can you play? (laughs) Can you, do you understand this music? Which, you know, has ultimately, I think for me and for a lot of my friends and people I'm around, has elevated how we think about (laughs) the music because, and it's needed to, which is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. But I think this whole process, and I guess w- what I'm trying to trying to get at is these relationships have happened and formed for me and and continued over a number of years. And it's been such a longer process than I imagined. Mm. And that's harder, you know. And I think ultimately with the people that I'm closest with, uh, a lot of them, we've had some great spiritual conversations together mm-hmm. that I like treasure those moments. Even if they, even if we never get to a point where, like, I feel like I'm able to um, say something that's going to convince them one way or another, mm-hmm. um, just to have those conversations is a major step. I think. Yeah. Um, I was also going to say too. You know, there's another moment that I think of for me. Uh, it was I had released my first record. It was like 2012, and the record was called Strength and Song. A lot of the it was a lot of like original compositions, definitely like sort of Christian themes in the titles. 
And even the last track on the album, you know, I think is like Psalm 37. And it's basically like this musical vamp while I'm having a conversation with our then pastor at the time about Mm. Psalm 37, how it applies to me. Mm. And I was working with a publicist at the time. And um, to this day, I love this guy, great guy. and, And we have a good relationship. But I remember him asking me or saying something to the effect of, you know, just need to put it out there like, this comes off very strong hmm. to press. If you're if you're making an overt statement like this, that can help or hurt you. And I think for a few years after that, that kind of like made me go inward and made me be like, okay, well, what do I want to do that? Do I want to go overt or do I not? And I think I'm still finding my place in that. I've I've connected a lot more with somebody like C.S. Lewis who writes Narnia and we, we all know there's Christian themes and he was a Christian. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet it's the most amazing children's story in the world. You know, it's like, it's so deep and profound and beautiful and, and there's so much beauty and goodness there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I look at him as sort of a, and, and other folks as a model of like, okay, how do I want to do this tactfully? And I want to do this. I, I want to do this in a way where I am making a clear effort. And my heart is, is for making an effort to, to bear witness to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, do that in such a way that doesn't compromise in any artistic way mm-hmm. or, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think you kind no, of know I, what I'm getting at. I but. do. Well, I, I think what you said at the very beginning is really is is a really key thing. Your pursuit of excellence is what's is what's given you the credibility and the relationships that make any kind of those conversations possible. Right. One of the guys we talked to was Brett Lott. The he's a novelist. He's like a New York Times bestselling novelist and was featured in Oprah's Book Club and all that stuff. And his comment on on that similar question was essentially to go, you know, a lot of times. Uh, writers come to me and they say, you know, I, I can't get published and I can't do this. And it's because, you know, people don't want to publish my stuff because I'm Christian. And he's like, and then you look at the writing and you go, no, you're a bad writer. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and so I, as I've done these interviews over the last year, like it's a question I ask almost everybody. And I, mean, I do think we live in weird times. I think it's, it's harder, you know, to be certainly harder to get along with your neighbors but in terms of like vocational success, even in a field like like the arts, um, at the end of the day, if you're devoted to the craft and if you're able to to be excellent at it, there seems to be a consistent response from people that like, no, like pursue excellence and the doors are going to be open because yeah. it. What you said is is the is a great description of it. It it sort of buys you the credibility. Yeah, absolutely. My teacher would always say that in college too. This this trumpet professor at UW Eau Claire, he would always say like, "John, if you want to have influence, you have to play well." Like, and I, you know, I never really got it at the time. And then years later, now I'm like, man, he was so on the money. Like, mm-hmm. you know, any sort of influence comes from excellence. You know, otherwise, why would people want to listen to you <laughs> or hear what you have to say? Shortly after we talked, John and his family left New York City. 
He took up a teaching gig at Indiana University, which is a truly great school of music. He has a new album due out next year as well. You can find links to John's music in our show notes, including some videos that I highly recommend. Now first he sings, and then he goes. And what it means, it's hard to know. Cultivated is a production of Harbor Media and the Narrativo Group. This episode was produced and edited by me. It was engineered and mixed by Mark Owens. Our music today was by John Raymond and by John Raymond and Real Feels. Our theme song is by Roman Candle. If you like our show, leave us a review in iTunes and help us spread the word online. And if you like our show and haven't had a chance to check out Steadfast with Sandra McCracken, another Harbor Media production, you should do so now. She has a new episode coming out tomorrow and you can pick up the backlog as well. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.